All right. Welcome. Yes, Jensen sir. Cummings, appreciate you. Thanks for uh, joining us on Heroic Hospitality. Happy to be here. Awesome. 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 Yeah, we have had uh, the last couple of weeks had some great conversations. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to get it, uh, make it official and allow some of the people into our world a little bit. So thank you again. For yeah, we can record it onto wax, man. <laughs> that's what lives forever. I love it. I love it. Well, that's great. Thank you again. I uh, appreciate everything you do. Um, the way you connect uh, communities, your community, our community, and really want to just uh, say thank you for that and all the work that you've done um, with your podcast. And shit, let's just get into it. Um, let's do it. What's been, what's been inspiring you lately? Humans. Man. <laughs> Humans. Yeah. The most inspiring things about what's happening right now is humans you know humans in hospitality is do i call them a lot and then we have our unsung hospitality heroes that's the whole focus of best served is mm -hmm. to like really champion a voice for them and and show the people at every level of the industry like they really fucking matter and are so important and so you know it's been a lot of about acknowledgement i think that's the word that i keep coming back to is acknowledgement the way that we acknowledge each other the way that we acknowledge our strengths and our weaknesses within the industry, all of those things are super important. And so I've been grateful for the opportunity to speak to so many people about their own human experience uh, in this moment and at large. And I think it's yeah. super cool. I'm inspired by it for sure. That's awesome. Is there any like business or brand or company restaurant hotel that's been like specifically inspiring for any, 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 uh, for any one reason or another? Here, right when you said that, a lot of them, and right when you said that, I actually was thinking about a conversation I had with my buddy Chad Clevenger, who's a chef at Alma Cocina. They have two locations in Atlanta, and they're part of the fifth group, the fifth restaurant group. And it's easy when you end up with like three different concepts and seven restaurants to all of a sudden have giving a shit about people become a thing that just you put you know, on the wall and doesn't become a part of the way that you live. But I've really noticed them and, and shared a few times that they have kind of their employee of the month is more than just uh, placating to your team, but something that you really invest in. And so I thought of them and I, I like to highlight companies like that because it's easy to be cynical when you're like, oh, you're a restaurant group. Like you care about the bottom line more. You're trying to be all about growth and opening up new concepts. And so they've done a really good job of staying tethered to their core principles of their people. So I give they, them a shout out. They're doing? So they post about them. They use social media, which is funny. We, we need social media so much right now to keep us connected. And even on this platform and the way that you're going to share that and the way that I share my show. And so on Instagram, especially, I see them constantly posting and telling little stories about the people that work in different parts of their business and not only, you know, the name brand chefs that they have, but the office assistants. And I think that that's really important. It takes a village. So I've been a big fan of that because a lot of what I see on social media that I struggle with is the transactional nature of look at this food we just made, which I love, come buy it. And the depth that we're building community in those moments, I think is diminished. And so anytime I see somebody acknowledging others, like when I see a dish that you featured because you love that farmer, it's in season, it captures your attention as, 
as chefs or let's say it's behind the bar or as a restaurant, I think is compelling and important. What I'm most interested in then is show me the farmer or the rancher or the cook who's going to cook that dish along with that dish. That to me is the thing that I'm most interested in. So anytime I see somebody posting about the humans in hospitality versus just the thing you're trying to sell, that's what moves me. And they're doing that well. It sounds they're like. doing that. They're doing that well. Yeah. Awesome. And awesome. Uh, I share that all the time. You'll see if you look at our social media, there's here's who we're talking to, to try and acknowledge them. And then you'll see, I just scroll through social media and I find people acknowledging other people. We comment on their post, hashtag unsung hospitality heroes. We share that and just kind of use their words again and say, yes, we love the way that you have the utmost respect for your dishwasher because they are the most important person in the restaurant. Yeah. And anytime somebody does that, we make, we make a point to amplify that message. That's awesome. Well, my next question was who is inspiring you on social media? And it sounds like this is kind of one and the same for you. A little bit, but so many. Right now, I think because we aren't in the restaurants, because we aren't transacting the way that we usually do, because we don't have the opportunity for high-touch hospitality, we're having to simplify the way that we interact with each other and the way that we communicate. And so a lot of that is, is showing you know, the, the Lee initiative, showing pictures of people boxing a thousand meals, love, love that. They get a big love button every time for that. You know, so we see a lot of, you know, people masked up and trying to feed other people, dropping off food boxes for clinicians, things like that. We're spending a lot of time focusing on who and celebrating them more than celebrating the zhuzhi fanciness of anything that we're doing in the restaurant is just about people in this moment. So I appreciate seeing that. And I had a great guest on Zuri Resendez, one of the most inspirational, motivational people in our industry, a kid from Mexico City. He is the executive sous chef at Catavella in Denver under uh -huh. Chef Elise Wiggins and had him on her episode, had him on the live show and just so motivated. He's wearing his chef whites behind him. He has a, a sign that says believe, and I'm like, it's so perfect. And he talks about Gary. Gary is a regular of his who every day at 2.30 calls and asks what the special of the day is, and then comes and picks up a meal from them nearly, he calls every day and nearly every single day comes in. Right after his show, he sent a picture. I was like, I wanna make Gary famous. Gary is one of the most important people in our industry because his level of support means a lot and so you know we kind of promoted and he got a picture of gary and the dish that gary was coming <laughs> to get it. and that is a very meaningful way for us to interact with each other and so zuri resendez and gary are the most famous people in hospitality in my mind well i'll uh, i'll make sure i put that in the show notes so <laughs> that's awesome yes and everybody has a gary there's so many garys and a yeah. lot of we call them regulars but to me, they're like heroes in this moment. And then Gary tips enormously, uh, which supports their staff in this time that they need it. So take some time to acknowledge your Zuri and your Gary, because they're <laughs> truly what matters. They're truly who matters. That's awesome. Well, I know you're, uh, you're on, um, you're always combing through social media, trying to enhance kind of what you do, bring more value to your sure. community. Um, 
can you articulate, share any relevant trends that you've seen recently that, uh, that you feel are relevant and kind of in this time? Well, I'm just going to keep hammering home the point of acknowledging other people. It's again, the thing that I'm most inspired by the guests that I have on my show, you included are all basically ones that I saw a moment, a glimpse of that humanity of that caring about each other and, and reflecting on this time and this reset opportunity and challenge yeah. that we're put through. And so I see somebody post something thoughtful, something that acknowledges their own plight or acknowledges the people around them. I reach out to them right away. And, you know, uh, we've had people that I've never met before quite a few today. Jesse Torres was somebody that, Linnea Covington, a writer in Denver, said, here's a handful of people that I think are just really positive, motivating people who I always just enjoy a conversation with. You should talk to them. And so now we've had three guests on our show from a bar manager to Eric Skokin, who's a chef, owner, and farmer is really what he's focused on, mm -hmm. to Allie Rosen, who just got nominated for James Beard Award for her show Potluck with Allie out in New York City. And it's like, all of those people were connected by one person. They come from very different potential backgrounds and work, yet they all matter. So that's what I'm seeing on social media is people are taking the time to acknowledge other people. And that trend to me, it means a lot. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, it's so, it's so funny when, when you're forced to behave differently sure. that the fundamental layers of who we are as humans really come to the surface. So, um, I could only imagine how many amazing interactions you've had with, uh, with best served and, and all the other things you do. Is there anything that's kind of flying under the radar as far as community driven, um, or maybe not flying under the radar, but community driven individuals, I'll just say in Denver or the front range of Colorado that, um, have been eye opening or that it's just doing great things or anybody that you want to acknowledge for a moment, uh, whether it's uh, anything. Yeah. So what I've noticed is maybe seven Facebook groups have popped up yeah. since kind of this started for individuals to try and create community in this time and, and bring together information and resources and just horror stories, anything that's relevant to this moment for us. And so, you know, several people have like really pushed that. I think of Greg Hollenbach from the Modern Eater show. They've put a lot of effort and information into the system. Uh, Rebecca Berry has done a lot of that work as well. And uh, Jeff Ryder started a, a Facebook group that, you know, constantly sharing information. Uh, Brendan Conwell started a, a group called Herd Chef. So you just see that people are like, we need each other right now more than ever. How do we come together? How do we create a community where we can have conversations about hospitality and, you know, and, and I, what I like about it is it's easy in some of these groups that I'm in sometimes that are hospitality professionals to have just a lot of bitching. It's just like, this sucks. My employees, this, this, you know, the PPP yeah. is so awful. It's the worst ever. And unemployment sucks. And for you, if that's true, that is true. That's your experience of it. At the same time, I, I actually see the positivity and the good energy, like 
drowning out the negativity. And it's easy to be cynical again about social media within this industry, especially because we're so fueled by face-to-face -face interaction that being on a digital platform feels cold to us, yet we're seeing how warm it can actually be when mm -hmm. we utilize it and communicate the way that we're supposed to communicate with each other is by caring. The, the, the simple notion of caring about each other in this moment and trying to support each other, which also does include being empathetic and saying, oh, I hear you, that's the worst. And what comes next from that interaction is usually the most powerful part of that communication. Oh, I love hearing that. So powerful. When we started, we would talk to, we had a brief conversation last week about kind of, uh, we, we kind of run parallel with our businesses and um, some, of the com some of the conversation we had that I was really enjoying and that I wanted our listeners to, to kind of share and to have a little sneak peek into kind of what you do a little bit professionally. Sure. Um, the, some of the strategies that you were employing and the mindset that you were really trying to wrap others' heads around um, while allowing them to make their own decisions. Cause we all know that it's always tricky when it's like you come up with an idea that really is a great idea and that works, but it's not theirs. And it's just that sticking factor gets a little bit tricky. Um, yeah. I experienced that a lot. I know you do too. We talked about it. Um, what are some of the things that are kind of big thinking that people are having a hard time wrapping their head around right now with uh, how your strategies, um, how you employ your strategies? The whole thesis of best served and everything that I've been working on is really the value and focus on why and who before what and how. It's very Nietzsche meets Simon Sinek. And then I try to channel uh, Danny Meyer meets Anthony Bourdain. You know, like <laughs> I, I curse like a fucking chef, but I'm thoughtful and try and be creative uh -huh. and supportive, yet still call bullshit. And it's all this, it's this contradictions that I think are the reality of just being a person and especially in this industry. And so it's easy to get chummed up in the minutia, the day-to-day, -day, the grind of what we do and how we do in this business. And it's so instant gratification. The loop closes very quickly. We're so reactive that sometimes it's really hard to think strategy. We are tacticians in the industry. We are not usually very good at strategy because we just get in there and we're gunslingers. We like use our instincts. We're high touch hospitality. We manipulate the product into doing what we want it to do. All these different things that are kind of the nature of the way that we operate. And so, and I've been guilty of that throughout my career of being, you know, the chef owner and the chef driven restaurant executive chef and trying to push myself, but also push the restaurant, the industry forward. And a lot of times, anytime you think that you're pushing something forward, a lot of times it means that you're suppressing other things that are potentially good. And so that's kind of a, a broad thinking. And then the way that I see that manifesting is now that I have some distance, now that I realize that I couldn't be in a restaurant day in and day out, I had my own struggles with it, you know, waking up in, in your car in the parking garage of a restaurant and just treating your staff like shit because you thought they were lucky to work for you. You forgot that as a leader, you work for them. And, and so I had a lot of those moments and I also just realized that I am not an operator. I want to bring value to the hospitality industry. I needed to do it from a little bit more perspective. And so having perspective now has changed my expectations and my understandings of what's possible and what the challenges are for the industry. 
So that's setting the table. Very practically though, I'll tell you a couple of things. When I think about the restaurant industry, it's very easy to get caught in the seven to 10% profit margin. The challenges and all of the levers you have to pull to barely survive in this industry. So one of the big things that I've been talking about for a few years now, and people always think, Jensen, you're crazy. It's not the way that things work. You can't do things like that. And I'm always of the mindset, like you tell me I can't, and I'm gonna run through some walls until I figure out how I can. And there's two pillars that I think about for the restaurant industry to be sustainable. And they stem from a wish that I have of 65 year old line cooks working their last month, getting ready to retire. <clears throat> because our industry is built for people to be able to work 35 years in this industry in one location, three locations, and end up being able to retire. It doesn't happen. You know, how many 65 year old line cooks do you know? We're not built for that level of sustainability of the business model or in the human capital that we deploy. And so I think about that. So there's two pillars. I am thinking always about how to reverse engineer being able to have restaurants on average at flow state, individual, one location, two, maybe three, be able to operate at a 20% net profit. And everybody says, that's crazy. The only people that operate at those are the 19.5% to 22% uh, multi-unit that have 12 units when the math starts to make sense. And I was like, I agree. That is absolutely the way that it's been. Yet, the possibility of that being altered, if we look at every single line item and start to have buy-in and build communal equity across that. So if you go to your local legislator, your state legislator and say, I'm paying too much in, in property taxes, they're gonna look at you and go, yep, that's what it is. If you go and say, payroll taxes and workman's comp is just too much for me to pay 1.47 of an employee's base salary to then have that person work here. They're gonna say, yep, that's the way that it is. If you go to your landlord and say $42 a square foot triple, triple net, yep, that's the value of it. That's what you got to pay. And we put ourselves in a position to continue to do those things. Or we bitch about one thing and try to fix one thing and realize that we're just putting duct tape on a gunshot wound. And so I think about that. Are there ways to say, if we want restaurants to be sustainable forever, and that we want 65 year line cooks to be able to retire in an industry, then we need that to be the norm. And if the state and local legislators want restaurants to be a part of their economies, sustained and not have restaurants closing at the rate that they do, where 85% restaurants close within two years, like they need to figure out ways to invest in the business model of restaurants. And that's part of the holistic conversation that I'm really focused on. And maybe let's unpack that and then I'll tell you the second pillar because I threw a lot at you there. <laughs> well, is, I mean, when you, I mean, that's all, that's all real high level thinking. And sure. so maybe continue to unpack it a little bit and then we can, uh, and then kind of dive down, uh, dive into like maybe a, one or yeah. two like, just specifics, but you know, just touch on so it. So I'll give you, I'll give you a couple more examples. You know, we touched mm -hmm. on, on how much it costs to employ somebody based on payroll taxes and workman's club, very specifically uh, where property taxes are. You know, the industry standard is, you know, your rent should be 10% of your gross revenue, 
right? So when you're thinking about the model and what you can do, why can't they be 6%? It can't because currently the market is saying this is the price of it. Yet, if you look at what's happening now or you look at what happens constantly and I get hit up by real estate developers all the time, like why can't we keep restaurants from closing within 18 months? It's like, well, because the business model is so strained that one little, they, they live paycheck to paycheck, one little influx of something, one little breakdown of a couple little levers within their system, the whole thing crumbles. So if you want to invest in restaurants, which if you're a real estate developer, uh, you're a landlord, that restaurant is bringing massive amounts of attention, of foot traffic, of commerce to your area. It's almost always the restaurants that are the tip of the spear when it comes to being able to market your startup little neighborhood, your startup little like uh, um, commerce and retail area. So if you want to invest in that, the $42 a square foot triple net, it doesn't work. So if you want to have sustain your brand, your model, your development, your three tenant location, you need to have that sustained. You need to be able to have restaurants that are there for 10 years, solid. And the investment in that means that it's $27 a square foot triple net. And if that math makes sense, and all of a sudden you're able to have dynamic offerings because not only is your restaurant a flagship, a cornerstone of let's say your development area, it also means that the yoga studio next door or the bookshop that's on the corner over there is going to have the foot traffic that it needs also to sustain its own retail. So not only is the restaurant in and of itself going to be able to sustain, you're going to be able to make sure that the restaurant, which is the eye candy, it's the draw so often for a lot of real estate, you're going to make sure that there's enough traffic because of that restaurant to support your other businesses. So now you're not only investing in the restaurant itself, you're thinking about the four, seven, 12, 22 other units that you have and being able to sustain those because you're putting enough butts in seats because the restaurant is driving a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So that's so another big thing that I think about is the real estate side of it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously what you're saying is you view the landlord as a partner. Have so, to be. Yeah. Do you, so how do you, what's your feeling about like percentage rent? That's such a personal decision because that really depends on your revenue models for that. What I think the conversation is, is restaurants need to understand the totality of the business model. And too often we don't. We think very linear in prime costs. And so we're built on that, you know, as, as junior sous chef and, you know, floor manager, we all of a sudden get uh, bonuses tied to our ability to control and cut certain costs those are the variable control costs of food cost, poor cost, labor, right? And that creates a lot of strain because what happens there is you start to cut and control versus grow and develop. And your ability to grow and develop is what always has businesses be able to sustain. You need to be able to manage seconds and pennies, but it's managing them versus paying somebody a dollar less than they actually are worth to have a livable wage because then your labor percentage is going to go from 9% to 9.2% and you won't get your bonus mm -hmm. has strained the industry for a long time. And so we're thinking very linear and trying to control the assets. We look at them as liabilities because on the line item, that percentage ticking up 
has an impact on your potential bonus structure. And so I think of the human capital that you have being the asset. So if you are cutting your food cost, cutting your labor cost, cutting your poor cost, you're hurting your employees, the product, and the people that you serve because you're not bringing the immense amount of value that you could potentially be bringing to them. So that, that is the byproduct of the way that we've built. And so when I think about that, that's when back to your original question is kind of percentage rent and things like that. You need to show and have a good understanding of the business model and show that to your partners, which should be everybody that you interact with from your payment processing to your landlord, to your local and state government, to your food purveyors, to your farmers should all be looked at not as vendors or purveyors, but partners to, to your point. And if you're able to show that to them and say, here's our business model, here's the way that we can be successful, how you landlord can be a part of that. Does that include more TI on the front end of a build out because we're gonna be at $250 a square foot per, uh, per foot build out and getting more TI so that we're not strained on the investment and then that loan percentage puts us at risk. Does that mean percentages because then you are motivated as a developer to put more marketing dollars into putting butts in seats because that is generating more money for you potentially. So, and the reason that I think it's personal, I don't just say, yep, it's good because it's a less nut and less guaranteed that you're paying into that. Because also if your business model says, no, I should be paying a fixed rent and we should reap the benefits of putting more butts in seats because we have a strong marketing and brand mechanism, then sometimes doing a percentage rent is taking money out of your pocket that should be going mm -hmm. to your pocket as, a, as an operator and then investing in your people. Is that it is, it is. And I struggled with that recently. I've always been a firm believer that we just make the deal and the deal's the deal. Yeah. And the percentage rent just doesn't exist through my lens because I'm For confident sure. in whatever business or kind of how we've acquired our people our community that will support us. But the more I think about it currently in this day and age, the more my, I'm starting to loosen up on my opinion about percentage rent. Right. <laughs> and, and just being able to have the partner conversation with landlords is just really important. And it takes a really specific landlord that really does care about the, the health of their, of their business and not just someone that wants to, um, yeah, the old, old something adage in. of location, location, location always seemed like being in the high foot traffic area. What it actually means is location, 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 meaning the location that you're in being a good partnership. The number one reasons that restaurant closes is actually because of leases quite often, you know, and so yeah. that's something you don't take into account. If your landlord <laughs> from the get is not going to give you TI or is not going to like negotiate with you in a proper way say, nope, that's what it is. I'll just get somebody else. They may be right. They might be able to get somebody else. Yet the fact that they're not willing to enter into an actual partnership and they just want to enter into a contract is a big red flag. Huge. And so often because it's such an emotional and personal business, this is my dream. This is the thing I've been planning for and thinking about for years and years, a decade. And so you start to, make compromises that you probably shouldn't. Mm -hmm. You start to look at everything through rose-colored glasses. You start to skew the numbers to be able to make it work and put yourself upside down before you ever start. And you're always playing from behind. 
And that's when you start to cut and control and you don't invest in your people. You don't invest in the infrastructure that you actually need. And, you know, it throws up another, uh, another touchy thing for me because the chef driven restaurant being a, a chef owner in the past, <laughs> I put a lot of pride into the fact that like this really represents me Yet the chef-driven restaurant did two things. It's the greatest thing to ever happen to restaurants, I believe. And it has put a lot of pressure and struggles into the ecosystem as well. And what I mean by that is the chef-driven restaurant connected both sides of the equation. All of a sudden, open kitchens and cooks started to know who humans on the other side were. Guests were no longer just nameless, faceless people that sent back food and had weird fucking requests. All of a sudden, there were people that you could see and you watched the joy, the interaction. They came to the kitchen, said hi. You know, they bought you a round of beers at the end. There was a relationship formed. Amazing. It connected us to the stories of humans. It connected us closer to our food sources in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Chef-driven restaurant had a lot to do with that. And in the independent-minded restaurants like yours that were both chef and maitre d', driven, you know, so I don't want to take away from a lot of the front of house aspects of just that, that independent restaurant scene, but we call it chef driven. So. Well, it's hard to have a TV show with a made yeah. It's easier with a Hey, chef. there's a TV show about everything now. <laughs> I know. For, now there is, but. Look at Song. Late, man. Look late at, 90s. Like a, another part of Song. I was like, wow. Like, oh, like, they do. Even guys do this. I love those guys. This wine is red. This wine is medium body. <laughs> this wine is high acid. This wine is. This wine is French. This wine is from the Rhone Valley. This is, uh, you yeah. know, like, man, look at these guys. Rock this stars. Is crazy, I know. and stuff. So, uh, yeah. so that's what the Chef Driven Restaurant did on the positive. Unbelievable, the movement that it helped create and spark. On the other side, we all of a sudden started putting one person, and I read way too many of my own news clippings. We put one person so high on a pedestal that it makes it really difficult for anybody else to ascend to that level. And it also makes it really hard for that individual to actually sustain being able to live up to that hype. That's a big challenge on the, the culture side of it. On the financial side, all of a sudden our kitchens got bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more investment went into that kitchen. We had all the bells and whistles. Yes, I need the wok and I need the tilt skillet and I need the combi oven, and I need all 17 of those immersion circulators to have sous vide baths, and I need and, and, and. And that creates a lot of friction in the business because restaurants, breweries, there's some of the few businesses where you're actually in two completely different businesses. You are in manufacturing and you are in real estate. Retail, excuse me, I'm so hyped up on real estate, retail. You're in manufacturing and retail. Only business where, you know, you have a beautiful boutique shoe store on the downtown strip. Nobody puts their shoe factory in the downtown strip, mm -hmm. but we do that. And it is a much sexier shoe factory. Don't get me wrong, but the kitchen does not actually produce one single dollar. It empowers the ability to, it is the gateway for that. It is the lifeblood of creating the product that does unlock the sale, but 100% of sales come from front of house space. And so when you went from kitchens being 25%, 30% to all of a sudden 50% of your real estate, 
you're putting immense amount of pressure on the ability for the sell-through to equal the cost of operation of a larger footprint. And that, to the real estate point we talked about, to the business model point, has created a lot of pressure and a big challenge on the financial model of the restaurant. And so I've been thinking about that a lot as well. Do you, um, do you use surveys or anything like that? Journey mapping? Do you do anything like that or um, support any type of those types of, of programs when you work with your clients? I'm not smart enough for that. <laughs> well, you, that's something that's like easily outsourced or, you know, how. Yes. So I think thoughtful reporting, self-reporting, and then surveys, I think are important. What I think is interesting in that fact is a lot of times when you take a step back, you already know the answer to a lot of those questions mm -hmm. when I've seen those deployed. I think they then are a tool to get somebody who's not bought in yes. and understanding, can't see the forest <laughs> or the trees to get yeah. them to shift their thinking. So it's more of a tool and a tactic because I'm so focused on the strategy and then getting people to a certain point. It's the first kiss. Like strategy happens in the last 10 or tactics do. Usually what I'm doing is trying to take them 90% of the way, but then they have to come the last 10% for that first kiss. And tactics are in the last 10% so often. Sometimes it's the other way around. 10% is only the strategy and 90% is in tactics. It's completely contradictory and it completely depends on the situation and the people. Mm -hmm. But I think about that dynamic. And so a survey, things that create data is important, absolutely, so that you can understand it. It's why things like Yelp is so polarizing. I love the fact that people can give reviews. I fucking despise the fact that people can just viscerally like spew because they are anonymous and the predatory practices of a business like Yelp are such a challenge. Yet it is so valuable a piece of information to have. And if you aggregate that at scale, it tells you a lot. At the same time, if you did some more self-reflecting and worked more in communicating internally, you already know the answers to most of those things. Usually it's a tool to say, see so-and-so co-owner or chef or general manager, you see the survey, the numbers said you're wrong. So now we're not going to do the thing you wanted to do. And usually then that creates friction as well. So I see the value in it. And I also see it being able to be something that you can understand internally if you have good communication mechanisms within your team. Sure. I've, I asked the question selfishly because I'm trying to develop a, um, a survey monkey questionnaire for yeah, offboarding. I gathered that. Yeah. yeah for offboarding um, employees because I want to understand the journey of, of the employee cycle yep. and really put more energy into the employee experience as opposed to the, uh, the customer experience, because in my opinion, it's the customer's experience as a result of the employee yeah. experience. <laughs> um, obviously yeah, location, like the thing is experience. actually, it's a little bit chicken or the egg. So mm -hmm. if you use the surveys in a way to understand the culture, or the lack thereof within an operation, it gives you the understanding to potentially then deploy certain tactics, certain tools to be able to like fix that or create something that sustains that is equitable for everybody in your business on your team. That's, I like it for that. Mm -hmm. If it becomes an erroneous step that you have 
and an, and an arduous adding on to the difficulty of everything that you do. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, there's so many things. There's so many, only so many things you can ask of people to do. It's another meeting. <laughs> it's another meeting. What I'd rather, what I'd actually rather invest in is a family meal and pre-shift lineup. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that is an opportunity for you to deploy the thoughtfulness ongoing in action. And I think that is an important thing. So I don't think one exists without the other in a vacuum. I, I, and I think they can coexist for sure. I think a lot of times when I think about surveys and data mining, I think about them as a way to stay on course. You know what I mean? Or to your, to potentially your point is like, let's look at this, take a step back and they go, wow, I had no idea people thought that about working here. Mm-hmm. And then that gives you an opportunity to have the next conversation that is like, and here's what we do about it. Mm-hmm. So, so I can, I can appreciate that for sure. It's just, it's going to be a personal decision for sure how they uh, interact with that. Yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. But the employee experience, this is something I've been so hyper-focused on because it's so hard to get, retain, attract, <laughs> and keep employees. Um, there's so many statistics out and they're not getting better about the, the average uh, restaurant employee tenure today. Like let's say pre COVID-19 because this is a whole three months or something like is, is 56 days, 56 days. Yeah. 56 yeah. days. Turnover average on restaurants is over, over hundred percent, which perfect segue brings me to the second pillar. The second thing that I'm really thinking about and focused on is how restaurants on average year on year at flow state, maintain a 75% employee retention Mm -hmm. and satisfaction. When you're right now, turnover is over hundred percent. You have no chance of that. And people say, well, people are just transient or they just use this as like a stepping stone job or they're in college. And I I understand all those. I also understand that those are excuses for you not to actually try and deploy that. You might not be able to get 75%, but what if you got 71%? What if you got 57%? Setting a goal out there that is almost unachievable makes you get pretty damn close to that goal most of the time, especially in hospitality. We just figure out a way to get shit done. And that's what I want us focused on is not how do we get our labor down to 9%? How do we get our retention up to 75%? You may end up doing some of the same things. You may be clever about the way that you schedule and the way that you staff overall, you may do those things. Yet 75% versus 9%, I'm always going to go to the 75%. And most businesses go to the 9%. And that's where they struggle. They get caught up in the minutia of that. And they're so often saving pennies and just leaving dollars just lying around. And that's the challenge that I see. So 75%, how do we do that? Is it livable wage? Yes. Is it benefits and bonus packages and retirement plans and matching on 401ks. Yes, it's all those things. It's going to have deeper meaning as well because of the way that we have the culture, the way that we do family meal and and pre-shift lineups, the way that we invest in furthering education and those things are going to matter as well. So those are the two pillars that I think about all day and have for a lot of years. (laughs) Tell me I'm fucking crazy and they're probably right and I just hope that now is a time that we're hitting the reset, that we now have an opportunity to stop for a second and slow down and say, let's not just keep chumming ourselves to death. How can we actually go about manifesting the industry that we want this to be, that we know that it can be if we focus on why and who 
and then reevaluate the business model as a way to practically achieve supporting that why and who. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Great insight. I mean, I love your insight. I love having these conversations and sharing them with our community. And speaking of that, it's a great, uh, great, great time to talk about best served podcast, which has been highlighting the unsung hospitality heroes and really shining the light on the people that make a difference in our industry. And, um, definitely want to acknowledge you for, for doing such an amazing service to our, for our community, um, with, with your podcast. And, um, I aspire that heroic hospitality, um, adds and sprinkles a little positive juju along the way as well. Um, You've had a lot of great conversations with some amazing people. You've had some just world-class, unbelievable people, tastemakers in our industry, in hospitality, as chefs, in hotels, authors, and just, you have all these great people on. Is there any story that comes to mind in this period of time that you've had with one of these amazing guests that you can share with us that maybe is relevant to kind of where we are? Sure. I'll start with your show, your journey, how it connects to mine, is just have the conversation. It was the most important thing. I, I have no training in this. I don't have the right voice. I don't know how to interview people. <laughs> I tell people all the time, I'm a conversationalist. We're going to talk. And people all the time are like, God, you guys must have been friends for a long time. I was like, we literally met 10 minutes ago on this Zoom <laughs> call, on this Facebook Live. I've never met them before in my life. I just am truly interested and interesting in all those moments. And that's, that's an important distinction. And so just communicate and hustle has been the goal of it. And I just, I just ask people, you wanna have a conversation with me? They're like, sure, you seem like you are decent at having conversation, okay. <laughs> and, and so it's funny how it, how it happens. There isn't this like master plan and I don't have you know, this big brand and, and PR and like all these people hustling to like make it happen. You know, there's a couple people, Mark Andrew Swan, who's behind the scenes doing some great stuff or Sophie Breaker, who's working on some stuff, or Sarah Carpenter, who does takeaways from the shows that, that really, really matter. And it just allows me to just talk to people. And so when I think about the conversations that are meaningful, there's a couple that come to mind. Talking to Debbie Gold, who was my chef when I was 23 years old in Kansas City, when she is a chef owner of James Beard award-winning 40 Sardines and family meal. You know, I alluded to a couple times, but family meal was something that was so important there that happened every single day. And it was a time that we just took a second and took a breath before we're about to get our heads kicked in and just looked each other in the eyes and said, you know, you and me, we're, we got this, we're going into battle together tonight and we're going to make amazing food and we're going to create the best environment and hospitality for people. And I think that moment is such the catalyst for why we do what we do. It's being able to not only interact with the food and the guests, but being able to interact with each other and knowing that no one of us can do it on our own empowers each individual to be better than themselves without that team. And I think that's a super cool thing. So, and I remember that moment always of having family meal and, you know, I'd come in two hours before I was supposed to work because the Mise boss on my station was insane. You know, and we joked about how every single one of her dishes on her poisson station or fish station 
had three pan pickups and I got into that kitchen so that's going to be my station. I went right in there. And, you know, I, I, you're picking up three monkfish and four black sea bass and two squid and this. And you're like, great. I have 17, 19, 22 pans I'm about to pick up right now on a kitchen where when you open the oven next to the French top, I didn't even fit. I'm 6'2", and, like, I don't fit in the kitchen. Like, you have to stand to the side and reach around to get the pans into the oven and, and – it was crazy, yet I felt, always felt like that moment of family meal was like, we got this. Like, yeah. somebody is going to come back and save my ass at some point, and it's going to be because we give a shit about each other. And that moment was crystallized in family meal. So that's the one that stands out to me. That's awesome. Oh, that's so good. How did, where did you have family meal? Was it standing up in the kitchen or was it sitting? No, the they table? like made us come out and sit down. Yeah. Um, at uh, the communal table that was right in front of the kitchen. Yeah, that's great. So that's great. It was a it was a big part, and you know, I even remember you'd be in charge of certain people would be put in charge of it, you know, and it wasn't just like shitty leftovers. It was like you had to put in some effort, <laughs> and I definitely remember there's a few times some people just like phoned it in, and they got yelled at by Debbie more for that than if they burnt a steak or or like. Oh. <laughs> messed up family meal is much worse than messing up a dish during a la carte service. And I remember that. And I appreciate that because we matter more than the guest. It's hard to think that, but we do. If you take care of each other, we take care of the food. We take care of the guests. The guests come back. We continue to thrive. Right. And so the employee experience. Yeah. It has to start with the internal guests yeah. for the external guests. And then you empower the ability to do everything possible for that external guest. I love it. Well, is there anything that um, our listeners can help you support you? Is there anything that we can do to kind of shine the light on what you're doing and how you're yes. doing it? What can we do for you? Yes. Two things. One, connect me with people. I mentioned okay. Linnea Covington having introduced me to a few people, so many other people. Uh, Todd Wager is another person who a few people that were on the show were because of connections from them. Connect me to people. I am committed to talking to every unsung hospitality hero in this industry, which means I will have to do this show for 12 lifetimes, but I'm game. I will do it and continue to push that out there. That's a really, really important thing. Connecting and acknowledging other people. I want it. Don't, if you know anybody who you're like, that okay. person just embodies what it means to be a part of our community, I want to know them. And that's an important distinction. Our show is very unique in that uh, the full episodes of the podcast, we interview somebody that may be well-known. The very important part of that interaction is every single one of them is required to nominate one of their unsung hospitality heroes. And every episode has two voices on it. And the second voice, just a really short 10 minutes, just to contextualize their relationship is that second person. 95% of those people have never been on any kind of podcast or had an article written about them or anything. They are truly in the yeah. trenches making it happen. And now they get a platform for us to be introduced to them. Down the road, what's going to happen with the shows is that second voice becomes the primary in their own episode because the brand best served has built up enough equity where people will watch the show, listen to a show about anybody. It doesn't matter if it's a well-known brand or tastemaker. They just know that it's going to be a compelling conversation. 
and they get to acknowledge somebody else and pay that hospitality forward. And it shows how we interconnect. So connecting and acknowledging others, I need it. Give it to me. Is there, is there a, a, an area of the industry that you would love to focus on, whether it's beverage or beer? All of it. All of it. Okay. All of it. Every facet of it. And what's always <clears throat> compelling to me is uh, I didn't even realize that that person is the type of person I should talk to until somebody told me and I go, yep, that makes total sense to me. So there's so much that I don't know and I don't pretend to know. And so I rely on other people to say, you got to talk to this person. They just are good people. They have a great story. They love sharing and inspiring and educating and, and being a part of this community. You should definitely talk to them. If it's, you know, I talked to Michael Passmore from Passmore Ranch and they have Sturgeon Caviar Farm in Northern California because Chef Adam Ross, who worked for me when he was like 20 years old, went on to work for Thomas Keller and, you know, the kitchen at Meadowlark, like these three-star Michelin places. And in his episode, he said, you need to talk to Michael Passmore. I was like, you're like, you're a caviar guy? And it was one of the best conversations I had because they are so connected. I was like, I would have never thought to talk to a caviar guy on my show. Yeah. And I'm so happy that I did because sure. it was a great conversation. So that's the biggest thing. The other thing I want okay. people to do, go on social media, look in your phone, and the last picture that you took with or of somebody else in the industry, I want you to post it. And I want you to tag best served and use the hashtag unsung hospitality heroes and acknowledge them. And we will find that and we will share that. And the likelihood of that person having an opportunity to be on the show is exponential now because somebody else gives a shit enough to not post the thing they're doing, the post about somebody else that makes a big difference. And we're hoping to see more and more of that. Damn, I wish I would have did that last night. <laughs> Let's I, go. Tommy, Tommy came over last night. I was like blown away. He brings a piece of fish and he like just yeah. completely destroys my kitchen and makes the most amazing meal. I was yeah. just completely blown away. I should have did that last night. I'll That's do it, it next time. That's it. Those are the people that matter. Those interactions, yeah. those relationships. It's the only thing that's keeping us going right now is those relationships because we don't yeah. have all the other high touch hospitality and the culinary techniques. We only have each other. And it's what I've been trying to push through and will continue to push through. It's the only thing that matters is why we get out of bed in the morning to do what we do, who it is we serve, who's gotten us to this point and who it is in the trenches making it all happen. Like, that's the only thing that matters. That's the compelling part of what we Love do. It. Well, that's amazing. And I really appreciate your time and helping uh, convey the message of how important our business is for the communities that we support, the neighborhoods that we're involved with, the cities that we're in. Um, what you're doing is amazing work and really shining the light on, on these individuals is a big, big, big deal. So just want to say thank you so much and you do a great job and I can't, uh, I can't wait to listen to more episodes and uh, thank you. I am grateful for the opportunity. And Mario, heroic hospitality. Let's hold him accountable. Yes, I know. Of heroic hospitality. Let's go. I know. I need to be held accountable. I will. But you're a big inspiration for that. You told me it's okay just to do it, get it out there, and just keep moving on. No one is gonna hurt you, criticize you, and if they do, then they'll just stop listening, and it's no big deal. And like, yeah, you don't, you don't need them. You don't yeah. need them. There's plenty of us that are gonna support, and you don't have to be good at it. I'm not good at hosting a live <laughs> no. show. I'm not good at hosting a podcast. I don't care. I'm going to keep doing it 
if it brings value to one person in hospitality, yep. then I will have achieved more in that than I have at any point in my career. Awesome. Well, hats off to you. Have a great rest of your day. It is Cinco de Mayo. Are you going to have anything planned tonight? Uh, I believe tacos are on <laughs> the menu.